podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. Twisted Blue LLC presents Brutal Nation, a podcast dedicated to lesser-known serial killers' acts of crime. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is Miss Tammy Underwood, and today's Tammy's turn to present one. So who do you it have for is, me, Tammy? It is. It is. I like how we take turns on, you know, because you did the um, Wednesday one last week. So I like the <coughs> this dynamic of just taking turns, you know, opposite weeks, because it gets kind of like overwhelming if you're doing the same well, category. Plus we, we bounce ideas off of each other. So who do we, we got? We do. We do. Okay, so this is Wednesday, so it's uh, Would Be Killer Who Done It Wednesdays. Sweet. And I, I really like these times, too, because it's like you get to kind of, you know, do your own, like, theorizing behind stuff, you know? I like it because, especially when you're presenting, um, it's new information for me. Yeah. And, and when you're presenting, a lot of it's new for me. I mean, we'll hint about stuff and like, because it's like, that's how we can like process it. Right. But um, we don't give each other everything, you know? Oh, it's so, like, okay. yeah. So let's talk about your dude. Okay. My dude is called Craig Chandler Price. And he um, was known as the Warwick Slasher. Ooh, I like that name. Yeah. And, you know, we always do a quote <clears throat> at the beginning of each one because we think it's important to kind of like give you a, like, you know, a, I guess a, I don't know, hint about kind of what we're going to talk yeah, about. Something fitting. Huh? Something fitting. Yeah, I, I, I'm really like, sometimes the words are right there and I can't think of them. <laughs> but I pulled this quote from Stephen King. Because oh, I've heard it before. I know you've heard it before. You're a huge Stephen King fan. I love Stephen King. You could probably quote a lot of his books verbatim. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I think if you had the opportunity, you would be what's your name for misery with Stephen King. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe not that extreme, but yeah. <laughs> I'll hobble him. Yeah, <laughs> right. Finish the book. Write it right. Uh, but he says monsters are real, ghosts are real too. They live inside of us, and sometimes they win. It's very matter of fact. That's very true, though. It is because you it know is. you don't have to worry about like the uh, uh, the boogeyman, so to speak. No, it's people or monsters. Yeah, and I think what he's talking about is the monsters are our personalities. Oh, totally. And I believe the ghosts are what haunts us. Oh, totally. You know, what we stress about, what we perseverate on, you know, right. feel guilty about. Those are our ghosts. And I'm a firm believer that there's two kinds of monsters. Oh, yes. There's ones that are created. Like, yes. Like, uh, we, we bring up Carl Penzer We do, because he fascinates me right. still to this day. And, and plus, he's the only, really the only serial killer that we've done so far that I actually empathize with. Because he yeah, was I empathize with him a lot. Yeah, he was created from the time, yes. almost the time he was born to his death. Yes. Everything created who he was everything the whole series of events that he had no control over right because at you know seven through whatever at the beginning he had no control over that right and then there's the other Mm -hmm. monster yeah and that's the monsters that are just born the toy box killer the toy box um, killer. Mary Bell Uh, the child we did yeah people like that that you look back and go wait a minute there's really, there's, there's nothing that led up to this. Right, exactly. So that's, that's just my take on it. That's exactly, exactly. I mean, so I just, there's different things right here. And so um, I'm going to start with his childhood. He was born on October 11th of 1974. Oh. So 
you know, you're younger than me, you're older than, and you're younger than you, a year older than me. That's yeah. what I meant to say. That's right, between both. Because <laughs> you're 73, I'm he's 74, and I'm 75. So, um, and he grew up in Warwick, Rhode Island, which is, you know, you you've said this to me because it's like I always try to figure out where these places <laughs> are within certain proximity to more well-known towns. I mean, that's just me because I like right. to picture where it's at. Warwick is so small. If you live in Rhode Island, you're going to know where it is. I get, you could drive Dude. across the whole state in like, I don't know, a second. Yeah, not, not like right. Texas. It takes you a day and a half. No, Texas, don't even get me started. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, so anyways, it, it's by Providence, but apparently everything is. Everything is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he grew up with his mother, Shirley, his father, John, and then it mentions a brother and a sister. Um, and... So through some of the documentation I said, and I think this is important to note for everybody out there, he was an African-American male. Oh. I mean, there's an African-American family, and at that time, in that Warwick area, less than 1% of the population in Warwick was African-American. So he's kind of an anomaly. Because yeah, kind of, yes. As we're looking through the list, I don't see a, oh, I, I see some. Yeah, yeah but, you'll, you'll see more. But not a yeah. lot. Of African Americans that are serial killers. No, it's mostly I've seen a lot of Hispanic and I've, I've oh, definitely yes. us uh, us white guys. Well, <laughs> even when we look at the list, because they they have given us lists from all over the world, different ones from all over the world. Right. There's really none from Africa. There's really right. none from like Trinidad and Tobago. I mean, there's camp not Cambodia, but Colombia and definitely Columbia. stuff like that, and South and Central America, um, Russia. Because right. they have given me one that I really, really can't wait. I'm not going to let you have that. I'm going to highlight it so I get it. <laughs> because it's like, I can't wait to cover him. Um, you know what I mean? So it's like different things like that. But you don't really see a lot of it. Right. You know? And, you know, because you know me. I like, I like to do research. And I'm infatuated with, like, the criminal justice system and stuff like that. And, you know, serial killers was like, oh, my gosh. It was like, I'm obsessed with that subject because i want to know how people tick oh no kidding. you know what drives you to do those things you know what i mean and so it's just been really something but you ready for this one go for it um both as parents were considered blue collar okay he was from what i could gather they both worked at a local kmart department store she was a clerical worker now, it didn't specify clerical worker because in retail, there could be two types. You know, okay. a clerk at the counter, you know, doing stuff, cashier type stuff. They refer to them as clerks sometimes. And there's also the office, like accounting and stuff like that. It's clerical work. So, um, and then his John, his, his John, his dad, John, <laughs> was a manager. Oh, so, so they were good. management upper, you know, it's not like they were like the janitors and stuff like that. They were, you know... Like management yeah, level, the management which scale, is so. rare back then too. Right, you know, especially with being the one in the seventies. You yeah. know, in the seventies where there's still a lot of discrimination. Right, because as I say, we're coming out of the sixties. Yeah. We're coming out of exactly. Uh, you know, uh, the Martin Luther King and the Black Panther. You know, the whole what's right. his name, Farrakhan, and, and we're just coming to yeah, like Malcolm X. action exactly, and all of that. Exactly. So, I mean, you got to think of the time frame, and you know, the fact that his parents are pretty well off for you know the. Considered that minority group, and there was no, like, you know, they had to hire so many minorities to still get their tax breaks. Um, but here's, and 
this is why I put all this stuff at the beginning because then it's going to be like it's not going to make any sense. But by everything I read, and I've heard some of his confessions because those will go on the website. I found two news reports that they played his confession tapes and stuff. Nowhere. Well, first it says he had a rather normal childhood at home. Okay. There were no reports or accusations or any information regarding any sort of abuse or mistreatment by anybody in his family. So this dude's a super normally. Yes. His parents are very well off. They live in a very nice neighborhood. There's no catalyst. No catalyst. He had no abuse, none of that. And he's African-American. Yes. You have my undivided attention. Yeah, that's why I was like, holy shit, right? Um, So, let's see here. As a matter of fact, everything, and I'm, capital letters, everything, um, said that he was a happy child, and he had... A comedic nature that, and frequently went out of his way to help others. Like, if he noticed that somebody down the street, because they lived in, like, a real, you know how neighborhoods are back then. Right. If he saw somebody carrying in their groceries, he would go help them carry his groceries, not be, being asked. He would just volunteer. If he saw that somebody wasn't able to mow their yard one week, he actually went over and said, can I mow your yard? Oh, damn. Yeah, these are what people are saying. All of his neighbors, everybody's saying this. So, it's like, if you're known as a happy and helpful child and you grew up in all this, why? That's kind of Why what are I'm we featuring wondering. you right now? Okay? So, um, let's see. Sorry, I lost my place here. I, I did my handwritten notes and not my typed notes. I, I apologize. Okay. Oh, let's see. Um, and in school, he grew up, he, no, he grew a passion. For sports. He okay. loved basketball and football. Loved playing them. You know, and he apparently was rather good at it. Oh. Um, but then we move into his violent tendencies. And it's like every kid kind of has that where they act out. Yeah. You know, because they're pushing their boundaries. They're seeing where they stand in life as they get older. You know, so sometime around the age nine of age nine... Things began to change. He began experiencing dark thoughts about people dying. Not killing them, but about them dying. Hmm. Right? And almost like he was obsessed with death. And it said this is what caused some of his behavior to become violent. Because he's thinking about people dying and everything. And that can get overwhelming. Okay. You know, the darkness and all that. that other stuff. It's like, it's heavy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if that's what you're thinking about, and you're thinking about your loved ones dying, I can see where that is. You're, you know, you're scared. You're, you know, stressed out. And what are you going to do? Act out. Right. But it's kind of sound like you had a pretty supportive family all in all. Right. So I'm thinking. and Because my thing, I was thinking, what if he was thinking my mom, you know, what if my mom dies? What if my dad dies? Right. You know, that kind of thing. And I'm kind of wondering if it was more of a worry or if it was a dark thought. Right. That could be too. So anyway, keep on going. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm still a little, you know, because um, uh, apparently the police were called to the residence at one point 
after an incident, and they didn't say what this incident was. Beyond, it was just a dispute. Um, And it got out of control. And the police also say around that time, they noticed that he started getting into trouble more frequently. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, From that point on, his criminal record began to grow. Like, exploded. See, the getting into trouble isn't what's playing on my mind because, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, up to 13. Oh, yeah, old, kids get in trouble. You're, yeah, you get into trouble. It's prepubescent. Yeah. You start hitting towards 13, 12, 13. You know, you get these hormones that get released and oh, you've yeah. got all this going on and you don't know, you don't really understand why your body's changing so much. Yeah, so, because... I kind of understand it. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of relate it back to... I have a cousin who, when we were younger, he acted out by going and stealing Mercedes emblems off cars. Oh. Remember how they used to... Yeah, we, yeah. we had a lot of kids in school. Yeah, yeah so it's like, you know, it's like he did little things to act out because, you know, to see if he could get away with it, basically. Right. So, um... By the time he celebrated his 13th birthday, and this is very vital here that you keep that in mind, 13, he had already had charges on his record for breaking and entering, robbery, uh, stalking, drug use, and assault. Holy cow, at 13? Yes. But by all accounts, these charges still don't add up to serial killer. Maybe the stalking. Maybe. Yeah, I'm thinking the stalking. Because there was no evidence of him, like, killing animals. You know what I mean? Right. Stuff like that. Nothing that would yeah. be sociopathic. And then, <clears throat> to me, this simply spoke to a child who was troubled somehow, but doesn't know how to ask for help. You know? And those who knew him around that time still remember him, even during that time, as being a cheerful child full of humor. Holy cow. And one who wanted to make something better out of his life than what he had started. So, yeah, it's just really weird. So he still had goals and aspirations. He did. He's like, I know this isn't okay. I need to change. I need to be better. But as the case with other youngsters who have these, who have made these bad choices, you know, young, and they're already in the criminal system. Right. He... Didn't know really how to get the help he needed to make better choices. Um, so he continued to make the wrong choices and ended up joining a local gang. Well, this is the 70s into the 80s now. Right. And, you know, uh, now... That's in, before the resources were available. And now in 2021, if... Let's say you don't have insurance right. at all. You right. can still get help. Oh, yeah. Totally. You know, whether it's uh, mental help or you need to go see a doctor or anything like that. Right. We got the resources to do that for people that are even indigent. Right. In my county, doesn't matter how much money you make, if you don't have mental health insurance on your your insurance, they cover it. Wow. Washington County is big on covering it. Um, So, you know, it's like, so he joins this gang. And as... As part of this gang, he would go around with them breaking into people's homes because that's what gang members did. Especially the little petty gangs, you know? Right. The ones that you'd be like, you know, I'm a cholo and stuff like that, but (laughs) I'm not high on the food chain with the drug dealing and owning the corners. (laughs) They're just wannabe gangs. Right. I'm going to break it. You have to steal your VCR. Yeah, exactly. Um, It was also with this gang that he began smoking pot 
more frequently and started doing LSD. So he'd smoke pot laced with LSD, which you and I both know LSD is some fucked up shit. Yeah, I, I've yeah, I actually, talked about drugs before. Um, I actually kind of did a little bit more research. Um, it can be, it can increase anxiety and depression as well as distort one's perceptions of reality and induce hallucinations. That's exactly what LSD does. Right. So according to VeryWellMind.com, who I've used for some other diagnosis, you know, definitions and stuff, um, LSD users see images, hear sounds, and feel sensations that seem very real, even though they're not even happening. Well, I can tell you firsthand, I don't know if you've ever dropped acid before. Oh, yes, I have. I, I always make a joke um, yeah. that the difference between shrooms and LSD. When I've taken shrooms before, I've never had a bad trip. Now, uh, people have said, hey, I've had yeah, a bad somehow, trip. Yeah, somehow, but yeah. I never have. Right. It makes it, for me, it makes everything very vivid. And oh, it, yeah. And it's a good trip. With, with When you drop a tab of acid, there's oh, yeah. a fine line between... Dude, this is a phenomenal trip, and ah, oh, dragons are eating off my face. And it's like within I've had seconds, that trip. and I've had that trip. Yeah, because I am scared. I mean, garden gnomes freak me out to this day because oh, I shit. dropped some acid and I was walking down the street, and I swear a garden gnome was chasing me. Nice. Yeah, so it's like that is where my mind was, <laughs> and you know that's not reality, right? So, right. Um, yeah. So even though they're not there, and also around this time. He became, a, he like bulked up. He became a larger child and that was much bigger and stronger than all the other children in his neighborhood or his age group. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's like, they don't know why he, I mean, it's not like he just bulked up muscle wise. He like gained weight and shot up and was almost, oh, not, I know you have a friend that you call ogre and he's just kind of like big hands, you know, stuff like that. And. That's how kind of what it was. He looked like. Yeah, he's one of the guys who transports. Yeah, my, my but gear. you know what I mean. It's like it's that big, like mammoth child, and everybody else is like, you know, oh, the no. peasants down below. I guess right, is what right, you could right. say. Um, so, so that's where we're at now. You know, he's smoking pot laced with LSD, which is not a good combination with anything, and then he's bulking up and getting bigger. So I believe he, I believe he felt. Insecure and inadequate because he's different from all the other kids now. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, so let's consider the fact we're going to talk about his first murder. Let's consider the fact that he already had a history of stalking women and getting caught <coughs> peering at them through their windows. He was kind of like a peeping Tom. Oh, okay. Okay. So as well as being, let's see, hang on. Oh, burglarized. He actually burglarized the homes. I couldn't read my own handwriting. And it should come as no surprise that he knew how to get into people's yards and homes without ever being detected. Even for a big kid. Dang. Yeah, he could get so in and out. he's perfected a skill now. Yeah, he could get in and out and nobody would have even known he was anywhere near the place. Um, so his first victim's name was Rebecca Spencer. And it's this her this story itself is really tragic and the next ones are too but she was a young mother of two children she had an eight-year-old boy and a four-year-old girl and they lived just a few houses away from price as a matter of fact his house was located at 76 inez avenue and she lived at 60 inez avenue so that's not just one block over right yeah 
Um, and she rented her home. And her lease was actually ending on July 31st of 1987. So in order to get ready for this long, this big move that she had to make, um, her ex-husband actually said, let me take the kids for a night. That gives you some time to pack and not have them bugging you and everything. Just give you your space. Um, So, yeah. I'm telling you, that's why I type my (laughs) stuff. Because my handwriting sometimes, even though it's nice, it's like I can't really see what it says. So on July 27th, you know, four days before her lease runs up, Mm -hmm. Rebecca's ex-husband picked the children up early. And she spent the day... Um, the majority of the morning packing up the house with a friend of hers, right? Um, so around early evening, about, oh crap, I almost dropped my water. About 6 p.m. that night, she cooked dinner for herself, her friend, and her brother who, was, who lived there with her as well. And he worked nights. And about 8.30, her brother leaves. Um, and shortly after that, her friend's boyfriend comes over. They... Do some more packing, then the three leave to get some ice cream and run a bunch of errands. Um, they arrive back at Rebecca's house around 11 p.m., and her friends left there by midnight at the latest. Okay. Okay. So midnight, she's alone. She then changes into some pajamas, gets a blanket, lays down on the living room floor to watch TV, and falls asleep. Okay. It was sometime after she fell asleep. That Price snuck into her home. He went to her kitchen where he initially grabbed a frying pan and then he noticed her knives. He grabbed a 10-inch kitchen knife on his way to the living room and then he stood over her for several minutes just watching her sleep with a knife in his hand. And this is all from his confession tapes. Jesus. Yeah. Creepy much? Um, (laughs) He bent down. After he watched her sleep for a little bit, she's still sleeping. She doesn't even know he's there. Holy shit. He bends down and stabs her quite violently. He punctured her heart, liver, lungs, face, and head, stabbing her a total of 58 times. Jeez. 58. And she did nothing. She just slept. You know, she died sleeping. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, that's what got me, the brutality of it all. And once he was done, he calmly left the house, snuck out the back door over the fence into the adjoining yard, and was back in his home. So he didn't steal anything? He didn't steal a thing. So he broke in specifically to kill her? Basically. Yeah. And you'll hear his excuse later, yes. He was 13 years old, Scott. Jesus. 13. And My son know- was playing football at 13. I've said it before, man. I'm not kid-friendly. Kids creep me out. Dude. That's why. Kids scare me too, but that's for another reason. Um, so it was sometime after, because, oh, I just read that. Sorry. Um, I'm just like knocking everything down today. Sorry. Um, since he brutally murdered her in her sleep, nobody knew what happened until the next morning. Because she, she didn't even scream because she didn't know he was there. Right. And if you're not screaming, nobody's in the house yeah, with you. Exactly. You know, nobody's going to know. Yeah. Nobody knew until her brother got there after work. And despite, he knew, because he was a security guard. Oh, okay. Yeah, he knew she was dead. But I believe the shock of it all, seeing his sister laying there, bloody and everything, he did attempt to do CPR while he, after he called 911 and waited for the police to get there. Jeez. So when the authorities arrived, they found absolutely no evidence that would lead them to her killer. So due to this lack of evidence, the case went cold. 
<laughs> they're like, we don't even have a hair fiber or anything. So, you know, that, which is kind of scary that he was that stealthy. Well, you he's know? 13 years old. He's not going to be like a big hairy beast. No, but like, at the I'm same time. I'm 47. I'm hairy. Okay, but if you watch all the documentaries that I have, they said no matter what, there's no perfect murder because you either leave some sort of evidence or you take some with you. Okay, but we're talking, this is what, in the 80s right there? Yes, 87. Okay, they didn't have the techniques that That's true, today. they didn't have DNA and all that stuff back then. Right. Or any of that, yeah. You're right, you're right. Yeah, and like I'll said, give 13 you years old, he's not a hairy beast. No, no, not really. And it's well known that a lot of African-American, Asian, and stuff like that, they don't have a lot of the body hair that us, you know, white people do. Yeah, you know, I, it's I mean, just a known fact. I think off my shirt, I look like a silverback gorilla. If I kill somebody... Yeah, don't give people that visual, please. Trust me. I'm going to leave some hair fibers (laughs) behind. They're going to be like, oh, we know who did this. Right here. Yeah, you would have to dress up in your white um, hazmat suit like Dexter in order to not leave any evidence. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so um, now we're coming to his next murders. Um, He took some time off. His quote-unquote cooling off period for over two years. It's a long cooling off period. Yeah, considering Good. how violent that first crime was. Right. Two years, it's a long cooling off period. Um, he actually started thriving in high school as a freshman. Oh. Yeah. Um, hit, and his urges, ov- you know, but eventually his, over- his urges overtook him again. And he had to attack again. Gee, yeah, Christmas. it was, I think... After the first murder, and, you know, because they say that killers, when they make that first kill, it's, like, euphoric. Right. You know? I I can't imagine it, unless I equate it to doing drugs. You know how you take that? Right. You do that first time, you're getting out, you're getting high. It's the best feeling ever. Right. But you'll never get that feeling again. Oh, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So, that's what I'm trying to equate that to. Um, So, this lady, by the name of Joan Heaton, she had married her husband, who was a sergeant um, when she was rather young. And they immediately began a family. Their first daughter, Jennifer, was born in 1979. And two years later, they had another daughter named Melissa. Um, They had the ideal family. It was beautiful. The memories were great. There was lots of laughter and love and everything. Until June 19th of 1983, when her husband, John, for reasons unknown to everybody else, took his own life. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, then even more groups, grief struck the family. And in 1985, that's when Joan decided to move and start a new life. Just get out of where she was living, start over where there weren't those memories anymore. Leave the ghost behind. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so with her daughter, you know, she made a new life with her daughter, but unfortunately she decided to move to Price's neighborhood. Yeah. Damn. But I don't see anybody that, you know, anything was really going on. Right, and she doesn't know. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> exactly. So she moves there in nineteen. No, her husband dies in eighty three. She moves, I think, at eighty five. Um, four years later, on September first, nineteen eighty nine, when Price was only fifteen years old, he got high on marijuana laced with LSD, and he found himself outside her home, just Ooh. standing there on the curb, right. And so he, yeah, so he took, I'm just standing there staring at her house, right? This is what his confession tapes say. Kind of in my head right now, I've got Michael Myers from Halloween going on. Me too. Me too. Michael Myers just standing there looking at Jamie Lee Curtis changing in the bedroom window. Right. Yeah, that's that's what I was was picturing in my head too. Um, 
so then he took the liberty of letting himself in. And of he went course. straight to the woman's kitchen. And there he found the brand new knife, the set of knives she had just picked up that day. So he likes knives a lot. That's his loves dealio. Them. But the fact that she had just bought these new knives that day is very, I don't know, just like, ugh. No kidding, Gives me the man. shivers just thinking about that. I don't want to go buy a new knife set ever again now. <laughs> um, so reports say that unlike the time before, this time when he entered the house, he made some sort of a noise. And that woke Joan up. So when she got up to investigate the sound. Is Joan the mom? The mom, yes. Okay, I just want to make sure. She saw him in her kitchen and she began screaming. Yeah, I would too. Yeah. So he was afraid someone would hear her. So he threw his massive weight against her and strangled her until she slumped to the floor. Right? Once she was slumped on the floor, um, it, he didn't know whether she was dead or unconscious. He stabbed her 57 times. It's pretty close to his last count. Uh, yeah, they mentioned that. She was only 39 years old. Okay? This is what gets me right here. And I try not to cry about it because it frightens me. Well, take a deep breath. I know. Her screams woke up her children, who were aged 10 and 8. And out of concern for their mother, they went downstairs to see, and I'm just going to put it bluntly, what the fuck was going on. Well, right, you would if you see, <laughs> yeah. if, if you heard any of your parents scream. Yeah, you hear you're your mom go see after what's what going happened on. to your dad. Right, you're gonna you're gonna you know like oh my god, what's going on with mom? Right. Um, so Jennifer, <laughs> when he saw Jennifer, the oldest, first he lunged at her and began stabbing her. As he was stabbing her, she screamed at her and begged her sister, "Call nine one one." You know, because he's not stabbing the sister. You oh know, run to the kid, go get a phone, call 911, please. Right? So now he's going after children, not just adult yeah. women. Yeah. He attacks the 16, the 10-year-old girl, Jesus. stabbing her. Um, he stabbed her, and this is what gets me, breaks me up. He stabbed her a total of 62 times. She was 10 years old. 62 times. That's more times. Than, than his last two victims. That is more than his last two victims, and she was Ten. Could you imagine what her body looked like? I, I mean, I would picture like it. hamburger meat. I don't like thinking of that because I have kids, and even though my kids, I know, are grown, me too. I have a son too. I can't even imagine that no. to either one of my kids. You know, no. So then Melissa was heading towards the kitchen to grab this phone when he overpowered her, stabbed her thirty-seven times before he grabbed a sco- stool and used it to crush her skull. She was eight years old. God. Yeah. I'm stressing these ages because of that level of violence he used against these little children. And they've already said he's a big kid. That's... Yeah. The level of violence was not necessary. I'm just absolutely floored, actually. I know, right? And so, um, yeah. These stabbings were so brutal and frantic that he actually snapped the knife as he was attacking Melissa... Leaving part of it in her neck. And he also looked around, seeing the destruction he caused. You know, after... Because it was like such a frenzied attack as he was interrupted. Well, even if it wasn't frenzied, you're talking three victims. Oh, yeah, totally. A ton. Yeah. Of and so, we got, what, we got 57 plus... Let's just go 50, 30... 57, 36, and 
Uh, yeah, I mean, 60 sixty-three some. is what I meant, not thirty-seven. Yeah, so yeah, and then like thirty-seven, forty-seven, or two hundred stabs. Yeah, pretty much. And yeah, there's gonna there's gonna be a bit of blood. That's not uh, a clean quite a kill. bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he saw this destruction. So you know what he does? He actually covers two of the bodies prior to gathering all the stuff and goes out the back door, takes a sheet and covers two of the bodies. Was it the mom and one of the daughters, or both the daughters? You'll find out in a minute, because I was thinking, okay, you know, maybe he felt guilty of the children, whatever. Um, so, you know, but it'll explain it in a minute. Um, and then, like I said, he snuck through her back door and over the fence of the neighbors and made his way back home, because she lived right down the street from him as well. Gee, many Christmas. Yeah. So, this is, this is what, like, frightens me about it. Because we're going to talk about how the family, these three victims were discovered. Some family members hadn't heard from the girls for a while. So, and this was very unusual. So by September 4th, mind you, which is three, day, three four days later, because the first to the fourth, you know, depending right. on what time of day, um, they became concerned. So, um, ow, excuse me. So her mother, Marie, and her sister, Mary, um, they drove over to the house to check on them. When they saw that the family car was parked there in the driveway and nobody answered the phone, they became very concerned. Right? Which I can understand. Yeah, totally. So they decided to go around back to check things out. And they were able to go through the back door that wasn't locked. They walked right through it. And immediately they came upon all the blood in Joan's body, which was covered with a sheet in the hallway. So he covered the mother and one of the and other one children. one of the other kids, yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering if he covered the eight-year-old and the mother because the other one he had more violence and brutality towards. I don't know. Well, no, because the eight-year-old, he crushed her skull. That's true. But the, other, the ten-year-old, he stabbed her... 60-sometimes. True, but... So, but yeah, I think the it, liberal brutality was... I mean, because he strangled the mother to death first. Right. I, I, and, and here's just me. Here's just me. Okay. I'm thinking you could probably go 60-some-odd times to stab in because now you're, you're in a panic. Right, and you're like adrenaline. Yeah, and so yeah. it's adrenaline. But to stab the 8-year-old 30-some-odd times and then grab a stool... Uh, break the knife off in her neck, grab another knife, stab her. I mean, broke the knife off while he was stabbing her, grabbed another knife, finished stabbing her, and then crushed her skull. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a bit much. That's, that, that, that to yeah. me is extreme violence. Right, and they say they didn't play this in the what they aired on the confession tapes, but they say that he sat... Oh, I'll get to it, I think. I think I documented, or maybe I didn't, but he sat there in the interrogation room and imitated the screams of those children like yeah oh my god yeah but it's like screaming like one of the girls who was in the corner and he was like she screamed like this and it's like dude dude yeah he frightens me this is one sick mother i know because we started out this innocent you know pretty well-off child and everything and then yeah. not even 15 years later this is what we're seeing Gee, yeah, it's it's scary. So they, you know, so they came up on the body and everything, and um, they, or was I? Oh, so Jennifer, the other, do the oldest daughter, was just a short distance away, and young Melissa was alone in the kitchen by herself. God. Yeah. 
Um, so the two ladies immediately dialed nine one one and left the house, which is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do that, yeah. yeah you don't don't leave go into the bodies. None of that. Um, so when the police arrived, they taped off the house, and then fear engulfed that neighborhood because now you had you two murders. Think? Okay, you have a family of three get killed, right? And you have this other woman. That's four murders in two years. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, kind of scary. And so they, they began investigating. And this is the weird part is um, at the time of the first attack, the authorities actually believed it was someone who knew Rebecca because she had been li- living in the area less than a year and there were no other ta- attacks in the area. Um, For two years. Yeah. Well, prior to that. And then after that, there were nothing else. Oh, I'm sorry. Right? So I, she was the I, only... I, yeah, no, Rebecca's, Rebecca's the, the first, first one. one right? That's yeah, right. so it's like it was a single isolated thing, and she hadn't been there that long. So maybe it was somebody in a probably knew her, right, and they the just couldn't pinpoint like who it was. Right. Yeah. Um, so, let's see. Yeah, attacks in the area. So when the Heatons, the three, you know, the family of three, were slaughtered, they had absolutely no doubt... There was a serial killer on the loose. Well, yeah. No that's doubt. <laughs> and they came to that conclusion immediately because it was obvious that both the mothers were, they were both single mothers at the same, at, at that time. They both had the same kind of almost identical stab wounds and numbers. And um, each time the killer used a weapon that came from the own victim's kitchen. Yeah. So that's three like similarities that you know tied them together right the same it's yeah basically the same mo yeah pretty much die. pretty much it's not like it was like okay this one's the same but nothing else right yeah so yet they struggled to find any of the weapons they didn't know where they were and figured um or they could not even figure out the motive since the first murder was only eight houses away and the stabbing patterns were nearly identical on each of the women. It was obvious that someone killed both these, committed both crimes. The one person committed both of them. Okay, so now during the investigation, the blood analysis, and I love this guy, Dr. Henry Lee. He is the world's foremost forensic scientist. I've actually heard of him. He has caught a, I mean, he has literally through his blood spatter analysis and crime scene, re- you know, Stuff he has got a lot of damn people. Um, so he knew noticed actually that nobody else did. There was a footprint in the blood. It was of a size thirteen socked foot. And since nobody in the family wore that size, they knew it belonged to the the suspect. Then FBI profiler Greg McCrary came in, and. He wrote the book, actually, The Unknown Darkness, Profiling the Predators Among Us. So he was instrumental in, like, working through the the FBI profiling department. You know, like, criminal minds, people. Yeah. Um, So he told them, the local authorities, that due to the extreme frantic nature of the attacks um, and the sheer anger and rage demonstrated, the suspect more than likely... Cut his own hand in the with the blade that was still in Melissa's neck. Holy cow! Yeah, and so he advised them to um, 
be on the lookout for an individual that was banded, had a banded armor hand. That right, makes sense. Yes. Okay. Keep that in mind. Yeah, if you cut yourself, you're going to bandage yeah, yourself up. You are. You are going to. Did you hear that? No. Oh, you don't have your headphones on. I heard a, like a D. I don't know. That was the monitor over here. Telling oh, me okay. It scared me because I'm not used to wearing the headphones. I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> Sorry about that, people. Scared me. And we're talking about this. So, okay. So now, basically, the net is closing. You know, it's like the things are, his world is going to get smaller here in a minute. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, a couple of police officers on patrol in the area. I mean, he, because he was really well known in the area for the trouble he caused. Right? Well, considering he's one of the only African Americans uh, in that area. His exactly. parents are doing are doing well. Exactly. So and he had brothers and he's and getting sisters, in trouble. And he's and he's the one who's getting in trouble. Right, right, right. So he's going to stand out because okay, if you're if you're getting in trouble and you're a white guy in a white neighborhood, you oh, kind of yeah. blend in. You kind of do. But you kind of do. When if you're the one, unless you got a funky card, then they can pinpoint you anywhere. Oh, right. <laughs> exactly. You know. But if you're like the one black guy in a sea oh, of yeah. white people, they. they you yeah. know, you, you kind of stand out. You're you're not going to pass them right, by and miss right. anything. You're going to be like, hey, there's dude, why is his hand bandaged or oh, whatever? Wait, I mean, this is what's really weird about this whole thing. So they came across him hanging out at a local park. And he was known to them because of his previous run-ins with the law and programs that he actually participated in that were sponsored by law enforcement. Um, he wasn't even considered as a possible suspect. They didn't say, oh, it must have been him. Okay. They just wanted to ask him if he'd heard anything because he was very well known and familiar with the streets. That makes sense. That's it. That's all they wanted to talk to him about. My gut says it scared the shit out of him. I I don't know. Just a minute. You're (laughs) going to like hear some things. I mean, you're saying this and it's like, I really want to tell the beans, but I wanted to go in chronological order. So when they approached him, they noticed that his hand was bandaged. Of course. Yeah. Right. Um. So they asked him about it. They said, okay, what happened to your hand? He calmly looked them in the eyes and said he punched out a car window on a nearby street one night after getting drunk. Okay. Oh, okay. Would explain it. Yeah. Right? So after a few, a few minutes of friendly conversation, they left him at the park and went back to the police station. These same officers were like... Wait a minute. We need to check this shit out because, you know, this kid's been getting in trouble. Let's figure something out here. Right. Um, so when they got back, they did a search on the police of police reports and everything. And they could find nothing that mentioned any car damage on the street that he mentioned. And there was absolutely zero reports claiming vandalism to a car, such as broken glass on the road or anything like that. Oh. Yeah. So... You know, his story's not checking out. So my question is, is why would you tell a story that they could easily verify? That's kind of what I was thinking. Because they're police officers. They have access to that. Right. You can say something like, hey, I was working on the lawnmower. Yeah, whatever. Or, you know, anything. Got myself shaving. <laughs> exactly. Um, so it was clear to them that, but it, that he was 15. We have to consider that, too. They don't really think things through. True. You know? True, true. So, it was clear to them that he wasn't telling them the truth, but they didn't know why. So, with this bit of news, they 
you know, they pulled up his criminal history. And that showed the majority of his charges were breaking and entering and stalking. Okay? So all of these coincidences uh, set off some major alarm bells with them. Okay. Despite, despite this fact, they questioned it, it. I'm sorry. They questioned that thought that maybe he was a killer simply because he was only 13 at the time of Rebecca's murder. Okay. They're like, that cannot be possible. A 13-year-old caused that much damage well, in viciousness. from the psychology point of view. Nobody wants to believe that a child oh, yeah, can, you're cre- right. can do this great heinous exactly. act. We all want to kind of live in this bubble of what I call the bubble of safety. Right. Which that is that, children okay. Children are pretty innocent. Yeah. Yeah. Kids don't really, you know, kids get into trouble mm-hmm. and they might break into a house and they might steal shit. But they're not going to, like, you know, commit homicide. And No, unless is, they're, like, heavy into, like, that extreme gangs where they're, like, you know. Right. You know, so it's, you're right. There is really no So, yeah, nobody's going to look now. at a 13-year-old and think, ah. Right. That dude over there? Yeah, he's stabbing people with a knife 50-some-odd exactly. times. Exactly. But then they got a little lucky. Um, one of Price's friends called to let them know that... He, Price had been bragging about killing Rebecca, which gave them enough evidence to obtain a proper search warrant for his house. Sweet. Yeah. So on September 17th, 1989, in the early morning, the authorities raided his family home, turning it upside down looking for any physical evidence. And all he did was go back to bed and fall back to sleep. Get the hell out. He didn't even care that they were there. Okay, like... Didn't give a fuck. (laughs) If or my two. kids come over, like my son lives with me, but like right. if my daughter came over unexpectedly, I'm not going right back to sleep. Like, you have the seriously. police breaking down your door, hey, peace, the police and you look at him and say, "Okay, look around. I'm going back to bed." Yeah, no, that's, but that's yeah, that doesn't me. happen. That's just me. I no, back. I wouldn't either. Finish up, tear the crap out of the house. I don't care. I'll yeah. be sleeping. Yeah, the only time I'd ever go back to sleep is if my best friend showed up and said, I just need to steal some coffee out of your cupboard. I'd be like, okay, you know where it's at? I'm going back to bed. You know, so it's like, yeah, he just went back to sleep. And at some point, I mean, because they could find nothing in his house. But at some point, they looked out the back window and noticed a shed in the backyard. Oh. So they went out there to search it. When they entered, they found a plastic bag tucked back deep in the back of the shed okay upon opening this bag they found a bunch of blood-soaked knives clothes and a sock that matched the footprint booyah yeah i'm glad yeah let me actually worried there for a second i'm thinking he's gonna go on to kill more kids yeah no me too me too and they also found some gloves and other items so they knew then that they had their man so to speak because he was only 15 and they promptly placed him under arrest now, his mother went to the police station with him, and she was sobbing the whole way. Just uncontrollable tears. I would, too, if it was my kid. Yeah. On the other hand, he seemed completely detached from the situation as if nothing were happening. Sociopathic 100%. 101. Yeah. Distance yourself. I mean, you are totally displaced from, you know what I mean? Right. Disassociated, right, right. I guess, is what yeah, I'm looking for. Yeah. So, during his interrogation, he told the authorities that racism led to his rage. Oh, my God. Now, listen to this. And ultimately, the murders. He said that one day he had been playing outside on the street 
when with some friends when a man called him the <sighs> n-word and then yelled at him to get out of the damn road i think the words were get out of the fucking road okay so that's when he told him that the comment made him angry but he was even more angry for not defending himself instead okay. of like standing up to this guy i can interject something here interject away Nothing pisses me off more than people that want to pull the goddamn race card. Oh, me too. And, and it doesn't matter At the race, any by level. The way. Yeah, it's like you know what? So many people are victims of that. Right. There are people. There that are, are legitimate victims of that on all sides of the fence. It exactly. doesn't matter if, if you're black, you're white, you're you're Asian. Of something. Yeah, yeah. Of some sort of profiling. Let's say. Right. I'm not going to say racism necessarily. Profiling. But yeah, to pull the race card. At all. Yeah, Especially just because in this you get in trouble, here. so that's your excuse. Yeah, give me yeah. a fucking break. Yeah, exactly. This kid's a little fucking prick, and he's a goddamn little yeah. puke. So, I'm sorry, I'm getting pissed off about something about this little piece of shit. Yeah, so Murdering these two fucking kids. Yeah, and these two women. Yeah, and, 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 and the two it. women. And the women and, and the kids And they pull the fucking race card? Yeah, exactly. You know, oh, because the guy called me the N-word. Oh, shut your fucking pie hole, yeah. you piece I of mean, crap. It, so... Scott is on a rampage. Fuck. <laughs> so he watched this car. Oh, he vowed then when he, like, played it on his head that I'm mad at myself for not defending myself. So I want to do something about it now. So he watched as the car pulled up to Rebecca, and he pulled, pulled up to Rebecca's house. And then the, apparently the man in question was her brother. Um, but when he was questioned by police, he goes, I remember the kids playing in the street, but I never said anything anything nor did i shout at them and other people or in not he said i didn't even say anything remotely racist because that's not my nature that makes sense and the people that were with price said they didn't hear it so it's another case of a person pulling the race card and i I want to reiterate because people are going to hear this and they're going to go oh scott thinks the black people pull the race card no that's not what he's saying no and here's what i'm saying black people do that but you know what? So do white people. Oh, yeah. And Asians and everybody else. Oh, yeah. There, there's always say, that, those yeah. people who will pull that race card. Or some sort of, like, yeah, because some, I know. Some sort of discrimination card. I have friends card. that got into some major trouble. And there's one that I really wanted to investigate to see if he's part of this group. Um, but at the same time, every time he got in trouble, it was like, oh, yeah, because I have a criminal history and blah, blah, blah. So you're just focusing on me because obviously I did it if I have a past. <laughs> okay, no, dude. They believe you did it because it's the same way you did all the other shit. Yeah, right. It's not like you changed your pattern at all. Right, and plus pulling that race card. So he's thirteen when he, when, when when he kills Rebecca, right? Correct. Two years goes by, and then he kills a family of three. three. Yes, all four. One guy calling one him guy the n word. One guy calling him the n word. One guy calling him the n word one time. You know, on, on a far stretch, on a far fucking yeah, stretch. Yeah, because there was no evidence of any, like, racism towards him at all, even though he was less than 1%. I, I'm going to throw this in there. Let's say, hypothetically. He did. That, Re- yeah, that Rebecca's brother came by and said, get out of the way, N-word. Right. Okay? And he said, that's it. I've had it because I've done LSD and I'm crazy. And right. goes in there and takes that on Rebecca. I go, all right. Fucked up. Fucked yeah. up. But, okay, I kind of, maybe okay. Yeah, if it was true, you know, because this is it. On that night of Rebecca's murder, 
he made sure that his family was asleep before sneaking out of the house and his sister was at a na- and going through the neighbor's yard. He climbed the fence and ended up in her yard. But he was disappointed when he didn't see that car in her driveway. So the guy wasn't even there. Yeah, so he's yeah. going to go in there and attack a woman oh, wait. he doesn't even Not freaking yet. know. Not yet. That's the thing. Is he saw, he, you know, noticed that the car wasn't there. So he was disappointed. He was like, you know what? I'm just going to go back home and smoke some weed. So he sees the car's not there. Go, please smoke some weed. And then after smoking the weed, he decided to go back to the house to see if the car was there. Um, And he said if it wasn't, he was just going to break in and steal some stuff. Well, when he returned, he noticed that the TV was on and someone was laying on the floor under the blanket. And he convinced himself he was going to kill this person. And so when they asked him what else he remembered seeing there, he said, I saw a bunch of boxes in the corner, which confirmed the story because she was packing up to move. Right. Yeah. And nobody except for the killer would have known that. (laughs) Or her friends who were there. But, you know, why would they kill her? Right. Yeah. So after relaying the events surrounding the first killing, he began to confess to the murders of the Heaton family. He described how he strangled Joan because she had walked in on him after entering the house and he even went into vivid detail reenacting the screams and cries of the children prior to and while he was stabbing them. This is a sick fuck. He was a, and he did this like calmly. When you listen, if you listen to the confession tapes, everything he said was just like so calm with no, like, frenzy, oh, yeah, this is what I did with remorse or anything. You know, honestly, this makes me want to go back to the toy box killer. That's how disgusted I am. Because, no, this I, frightened me. I am me. less disgusted by the toy box killer yeah. than I am this piece of shit. Yeah, exactly. So, um, when he was done, the authorities had more than enough to arrest him on four counts of first-degree murder and two counts of burglary. He was just shy of his 16th birthday. Okay? Jesus. Yeah. Now, this is what's fucked up. At the time, in the American criminal justice system, it was against the law for prison services to incarcerate a juvenile offender, no matter what their crime, past their 21st birthday. Get the hell out. He would have done five years. That's ridiculous. Yeah. He I'm only disgusted. received five years. Oh, but wait. I mean, you're not going to be disgusted by the end of this, but yeah, he only received five I'm disgusted years. and fucking pissed. At the justice system, right? I, at the whole goddamn yeah. story. Yeah. This guy's a scumbag. And please, you know what, dude? If you're out right now, and I'm sure she'll tell me if you are or aren't, if you are, fuck yourself. Yeah. Drink some goddamn bleach. Eat a goddamn bullet. Just, I, yeah. I, I'm thinking about the kids and him describing the yeah, screams I'm of Yeah, I'm thinking about kids. the children, too, and how he nonchalantly... Just mimics their cries. Like it was nothing to him. A piece of garbage. Okay. So, as a result of this, he only received five to six years. Instead of the standard life sentences that anybody else would have received had they been an adult that committed those crimes. Right. And then this is the kicker here. Upon serving his time during this time period in the law for these murders, he would have gotten out. Would, would have gotten released by the criminal record by the, and his criminal record would have been sealed 
So nobody would have known Jesus. what happened. Jesus. Okay, that was the law. People okay. needed to know. I, yeah. I'm, please tell me the damn laws changed. People need to know when somebody is that fucking violent. And that dangerous. Yeah. And then he gets out after five years. And that you is think a he's rabid re- dog. Yeah. And that needs to be taken out. Yeah. So on t- September 21st, 1989, he pe- pled guilty and was transferred to a facility where he was supposed to undergo psychological evaluations and therapy. But he would consistently reject any attempts to engage him in therapy and treatments, thus remaining untreated. Okay, but wait. Here's the, here's the thing. You're going to Billy Maze me now, but wait, there's more? But wait, there's more. Um, in 1990, the Assistant Attorney General of the United States, his name was Jeffrey Pine, along with the detective who investigated this crime. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, he was instrument. They were instrumental in passing the O'Neill Bill that hardened sentencing for juvenile murderers. However, Price would have been grandfathered in and he wouldn't be... It wasn't... This thing did not come in time to affect him. But, so Pine went to Quantico and he began taking training courses with the, given by the FBI to better understand Price as an offender. Like his group, you know what I mean? Okay. The, yeah. I can, so I he's can, trying to educate himself. Right, getting get kind of the psychological profile yeah, of to that figure, type of offender. Yeah, to find, and this is what he found out. It was there he learned that there were fewer than 1% of killers who are frenzied in a way that Price was. Less than 1% of serial killers out there oh. have ever been that frenzied and violent. Um, and he, w- he also learned um, to date at that time in 1990, there was no truly effective way to treat such an offender, to rehabilitate them. Well, I know how to rehabilitate him. Yeah. Shoot me between the eyes? Yeah. The yeah. injection... Bring back the electric. Yeah. Bring back the gallows. Yeah. So he took this information back to the courts to get a court order mandating Price to undergo psychological testing. Sweet. Yeah. And any pursuant therapy associated with the results. And Price sat in that courtroom under record, on the record, and said, I will not do it. <laughs> so his blatant refusal allowed Pine, the... Attorney General, right. to file a contempt of court charges in 1994. Sweet. So he gets to stay in there a little bit longer. Okay, yeah. So while in court on the contempt charges, he publicly lashed out and threatened to kill a correctional officer in court. Oh, beautiful. So since he was a convicted murderer and openly threatened to murder again, he was found guilty and sentenced to 15 more years with eight suspended if he stayed, didn't get in any trouble. So we already know he's probably going to do all 15. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And probably going to get more. Yeah, so he would be remaining incarcerated past his 21st birthday. Some success, right? Some. Still Some. not quite okay. justice for the... For but the, wait, there's more. For these four people. Yeah. Well, now he's in jail, and this is his jail life. His violent behavior only escalated in jail, and on several occasions. Since 1996... He has succeeded in adding even more time to his sentence. In 96, he was given an additional year for biting the finger of an officer. 
1987. Yeah, dogs. Yeah, 1987. He again was charged and found guilty of contempt of court because he would not take any psychological mandates. That time he received an additional 25 years, but 15 of which was probationary. You know. Okay. Okay, so we have 10 years, one year. Let's see here. Blah, blah, blah. So we're at 11 years so far. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. So you have the seven years from the 1994 case. Right. Then you have in 1996, he gets another year. So that's eight years. Then he gets another 10. So that's 18, 18 years. Yeah. Okay. In 1988, he assaulted another officer and reached seven more. Okay, so now we're over 20-some years. In 1999 and 2001, he verbally and physically attacked another officer and got four more years. So he's up to almost 30 more years there. Um, The last known incident occurred in 2017 when he attacked a fellow inmate with a shank. Now, this is the kicker. They released the video footage, and I'm going to post it on the website. It was just bizarre. So at that point, his earlier, his earliest parole hearing would have been February of 2022, next year. Okay. However, many believe due to his violent crimes, I mean, violent history in jail, he will never be released. I hope he doesn't. Yeah. I no. really want this guy to get the death penalty. Uh, yeah, me too. Me too. Um, I say let, and, the, let the punishment fit the crime. Yeah. Seriously, he should be tied down and people yeah. should stab him. Mm-hmm. And I know that I'm, we're going to get some hate mail about that. But, oh, Scott, that's inhumane. Okay, but, but you know what? Guys, listen up. Listen yeah. and, and listen fucking hard. Think about what he did to those goddamn yeah, it doesn't kids matter. and his other goddamn victims. It's yeah. not inhumane. This little cocksucker deserves that. Yeah. And so Scott pissed. does not get very violent when it comes to this stuff. I mean, so people need... I mean, if you listen to our other episodes, he does not usually... I'm usually in a great mood. Yeah. You know, exactly. I get disgusted, but... I, just, I mean, you were disgusted with that, the lethal killers. The lethal killers, yes, yeah. Yes, you were very disgusted with them. And for good reason. Yeah. And Toy Box Killer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That for was, good reason. That, that was a hard one for me to even research. Yeah. And this guy fills me with so much rage. Rage. And that's not a normal thing for me to have. Yeah. So he's down in Florida penitentiaries right now. And I'm trying to figure out which one. Because I have a friend whose son works in a penitentiary down there. And so I'm trying to see if it's like the same one and if I can get the inside to get in there and interview him. Because I literally want to sit across from him and look him in the eyes. I can't. No. That's a solo trip. I'll do it alone. Yeah. I, to be yeah, honest, I no have, way to do that. I have the desire to look into his eyes. Because I, I will honestly wind up in prison. You probably would. You'd be spending the rest of your life in Florida Penitentiary. I, I would. Because yeah. I do have certain skills you do and uh yeah i i want to see this guy dead yeah no i and i see i see your point of view i think i'm at the point where it's like i want to look him in the eyes and said why the children why you know what i mean what what harm that could they have caused you no kidding how are they gonna hurt you that's uh yeah I didn't, I didn't understand it. And the number of times, you know, because if you read the about me page, you know, people will know that I was, I've been infatuated with serial killing for a long time. I even wanted to write a book about it. Um, and I was pen pals with 
one of Oregon's most prolific serial killers. You know, because you're sick. Well, no, you know why I was infatuated with him? Because he worked with my mother. My mother trained him as oh. a nurse's aide. And you know what I mean? So it's like, oh, it makes sense. yeah, right. so it's like, I didn't know him personally, but the fact that he had a connection somehow to my mother and then come to find out that it was my mother's age group was his victim pool. It scared the fuck out of me. No kidding. So what else you got on this little piece of crap? That's it. That people will not, people believe that he will never get out of jail. I hope he doesn't. And I hope he doesn't either because he has a history of such violence and refusing to get help for it. I do not want to get that testing. You will not make me do it. And that's the main thing. Yeah, he's even, refusing. Even, you know, and he, show, he has shown no remorse over it. None. You could have a million options to mm-hmm. treat yourself. And yeah. unless you truly want to seek help, right. it's, it's all for naught. Yeah. You know, there's two ways you can do it. You can either just play the system if it's court mandated. Okay, fine. I'll kind of jump through some hoops. Right. Or do what this guy did, which is like, hey, fuck you. I don't care. You know, and I'm going to divulge a little bit here. I was in jail. Um, I got into some trouble when I was 18 years old. And unfortunately, I ended up doing four years in the penitentiary. I'm not going to lie. But while I was there, I took every, every class that was offered. I started going to school. I mean, I took a building maintenance class to get at least get a trade degree, you know, trade certificate under my belt. Oh, yeah. So that when I got out, I had something that I could go do, you know. Um, I got my GED. I started taking college courses. I took every self-help class that was offered me. I asked to be put into a dorm that offered even more self-help classes. And the... Residents in that dorm would speak to children and stuff that came in, almost like a scared straight program. Okay. They would come in, we'd sit around in a circle, and we would tell them what happened to us and answer their questions and talk to them and try to get them to know that they need to make better choices. Okay? I was never convicted of a drug crime. I spent a year in inpatient drug treatment and did three years of out- aftercare when I got out. Oh, decent. Yeah. Because I did not want to go back. Right, because you wanted to change yourself. Exactly. I was never mandated for drug treatment. None of that. I wasn't mandated to take any classes at all. Yeah, you know, and I've I've been through uh, anger management and things like that. That was court-ordered. Right. Because I've also been in trouble. And, you know, at the end of the day, when you want to help yourself, you'll utilize that. Not this guy. No. No. You know what this guy wants to do? He wants to go victimize people. And he wants to continually act out with violence towards everybody. Yeah, rabid dog, man. Yeah. Then that is, I mean, and I'm dogs. sorry you to say this because you know me, I love animals, but there are dogs and stuff. We talked about this before that have the temperament that they cannot be integrated back with anybody you know, into society, right. basically. Well, it, 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 I say rabbit dog because of this right here. Because we, we've mentioned before how much I love your dog, Ghost. Oh, yeah. If Ghost got rabies and we had to put him down, it would, seriously, it would break my heart. It would break my heart, too, but rabies is one of those ones that <laughs> can very eat their mind. Yeah. Humans who have been affected with rabies, and this is a true story, they literally lose their fucking minds. Right, you know? It eats it away. But what do we do with every rabid dog? We put him down. We do. We do. And that's all this guy is. He mm-hmm. is nothing but a rabid animal. And he has no desire to change, None. and he is not sorry for what he did. You know, ridiculous. because and it's true. You have to want to change. You have to have that desire because I saw people who left said, oh, I'm never going to get in trouble again. And they were back within two weeks. 
Jesus Christ. It's like, dude, you just said you're not going to get in trouble. Well, you know what? I said it and I meant it. Yeah. You know, I told I told the um, the lieutenant when I left the women's facility in Salem, she was saying something about, you know, you're young, blah, blah, blah. You have so much ahead of you. I said, you'll never see me again. And she looked at me and she goes, you know, I've heard that from a lot of people, but I believe you. (laughs) She did because I did everything I could to make myself better. Right. And that's the thing. Yeah. So let's wrap this one here. Yeah, up. Let's, let's wrap it up. And my whole theory is, you know, just, I don't know, man, because there were no real signs. There were no real signs that said he was going to be a killer. He yeah, just, just was a damn killer. I'm just, <laughs> so what I said earlier really does play into it. It this does. one that's just, he was born to be a, not, nothing but a yeah. fucking monster. It didn't matter what he, I mean, because he by all intents and purposes, had a very good life. You know? It's not like he had to join a gang because it's the only thing that was available to him. Right. You know what I mean? Right, right. There was none of that. There was no indication whatsoever that this was going to happen. And, it, and unfortunately, four, four people lost their lives and two innocents. Two people who hadn't even had a chance to live. Yeah. Yeah. So ridiculous. I just, I mean, like I said, I don't even know where to go with that because there's no excuse for it. Yeah, no kidding, man. Oh, this is is the first one that we've done in this series here where I've actually been pissed off. Yeah. I mean, just, I mean, pissed. Pissed. Yeah. There is no reason. None. And like I said, I was trying to find the, the, okay, maybe this was the catalyst. I didn't see any of that with him. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So. There you go, people, and I—I I mean, I will have everything posted. I mean, by the time this will be airing, on you know, by the time you hear this, because I was trying to say when I'm going to release it. By the time you hear this, I will have everything on the website. Almost sound like a suicide note. By the time you hear this, <laughs> no, I'll be gone. I was like, I just want to say, by the time you minute. hear this podcast, I will have everything on the website, so you can just go to www.twistedblue.llc.com. Click on the Brutal Nation page, and there will be a drop-down menu for episode six, uh, episode eight. Got to count in my head. <laughs> but yeah, so <laughs> it'll be episode hard. eight, and just listen to it and look at everything, because I'll post all the videos and everything so you guys can see them and see the callousness and the just detachment he had. Yeah, I can't wait to so. actually look at this. This has been Brutal Nation, a Twisted Blue LLC production. All rights reserved. Copyright 2021. See you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye.